Well, we continue our series this morning on Love Letter from God. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 to 10. And it's a very short passage, so I am going to ask you to stand, if you would, this morning. We'll also read John 3.16, which is our key verse for the whole series, which is, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Zechariah 9, 9-10 Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Let us pray. Hide me behind your cross, Lord Jesus. Articulate the Father's heart through my voice and let the Holy Spirit breathe new life to us opening our ears to hear the message of God. Amen. You may be seated. Zechariah is a book of prophecy, and the people of Judah are trying to figure out how to do the right things now that some have returned from exile. They have been in exile for 70 years, and then they have been returned to their home. As they have come back to their home, They have received some help, but not quite all of it, in rebuilding the temple. They have made progress in rebuilding their community. But they are not sure of what all this means for them. Uh, They have been waiting for the promised Messiah, and so they have come to Zechariah and they have said, Is the promised Messiah coming now? Will the king that God has been promised has been promising, be anointed now. And Zechariah never answers the question of timing, but instead he gives them this. If you are people who are faithful, God will be faithful. And then God tells them all of the promises of what it will look like when the Messiah finally does come. One of the promises he makes is that the kingdom will be at peace. So today, let's look at what peace looks like, because we know that the Messiah has come. The prophecy that was given to them has been fulfilled for us through Jesus. But we also know that the Messiah is coming again. And so we can look at this as already having started, We have the ability to live a peace that passes understanding and to dwell in the peace of Christ's reign, according to what Paul has written to us as Christians. But there is more to this promise. We are still waiting. We live between the already and the not yet. We are still waiting for the promise that hasn't happened yet for us. And so with the remnant who have returned from exile, we might ask, how long, O Lord? 
And the answer will be, the answer always is, be faithful and God will be faithful. So we live into what we already know. But God has this promise of peace that he has given to them and he's given to us. And it's a promise to them of peace that comes with Christ. And it's a promise to us of the peace that comes with Christ, but also the peace that we expect. So now we are living a kingdom life that includes peace now. And we are anticipating Christ's return and everlasting peace that is to come for everyone. So, in the meantime, we can be at peace with one another. Because we trust Christ, that means that when we have conflict, we want peace to happen. And we need to be doing all we can to create peace in those places. Again, Paul gives us an admonition. He says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. Notice he doesn't say, be at peace with all of the people who agree with you. That would be way easier. He doesn't say, be at peace when it feels like that's a good choice. It says, be at peace with everyone. And this means sometimes we have to sacrifice something we want or need in order to create peace. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how sometimes on social media, it becomes really easy to divest yourself of peace. It, it becomes really easy to get into an argument with people. If you, um, if you are one of those people who are either A, not on Facebook, bless you. If you are on Facebook and all of your friends agree with you, you might need to get some more friends, just saying. But um, I'm pretty sure that almost everyone has had someone that they don't agree with, whether it's over guns or migrant rights or abortion or the president or anything, right? Trust me, there are things that we don't agree on either, right? But I'm going to tell you that sometimes it is way easier to type out a response in those spaces. I'm preaching to myself right now, so just pay attention. (laughs) It's way easier to type out a full long response there and post that and have it create tension than it is to pass it by and leave it alone. And sometimes we need to be able to do that because I'm going to tell you something, and maybe you've heard this before, but I'm going to tell you this anyway. Internet arguments rarely change minds. They do change relationships. I think if we are going to create peace, sometimes that means staying away from some people or sacrificing our need to be right in order to move forward. The second way that we can be at peace is we can be at peace in our circumstances. 
This can be a tough one, too. It's tough in a different way. I mean, we all live in the same reality, right? We all live in a world that is full of go, 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 do, do, do. You have this happening and this happening. There's this crisis and that crisis. And all of these things are happening at once. And in the middle of that, in the middle of that chaos, God says, I want you to dwell in the peace of Christ's reign. What? Uh, you need to be at my house on a Saturday night when the TV's blaring and babies are crying and what, you want me to be at peace? But God says yes. Because peace doesn't mean the absence of chaos. Instead, it means being still in the middle of chaos. It means that even with all of that going on around you, you can be at rest. At rest in the Christ who has made you free. At rest. I had a very crazy week this week. I wound up with two babies at once, not just me. It was our family. We all had Lots of responsibility. I want to tell you, that is the best husband that has ever walked the face of the earth, bar none. And uh, he watched two babies twice this week, like hardcore working on it. It was great. He's awesome, amazing. I can never say enough about my husband, Tom, but he is um, he's pretty remarkable. But in the middle of everything that was happening, we all of a sudden found out that we were going to have an unexpected visitor, which was not not great news. And while that happened, he was gone, my daughter was gone, my niece was gone, so it was just me. And I get a little edgy when I'm going to have company, especially if it's unexpected company. It just creates a little bit of anxiety in me. And so I reached out to a friend who had... um, been having conversations with and she said you need to relax and let this happen and it's going to be way easier than you are making it in your head and she said just the right things for me in that moment for me to hear and ultimately it was good I had also been praying before I reached out to her and praying while I reached out to her and praying after I reached out to her. I'm like, Lord, please help with this. It's crazy. I don't know what's going to happen. And ultimately, both prayers were answered. I was able to relax, but I was also able to get through the circumstance. What is also really cool is that sometimes we're not just called to be peaceful ourselves in the circumstances that we find ourselves in. But by being at peace in the circumstances around us, we can offer peace to people who are also going through difficult circumstances. Sometimes we can say the right thing, like my friend did to me. Sometimes it's just being present with someone. You don't have to actually say any words. Sometimes it's just offering a prayer. Sometimes it's just 
knowing that you're available if it comes to that. In those circumstances, you are bringing the peace of Christ to someone else whose chaos is threatening to overwhelm them. You're helping them be still in a moment that feels crazy or hard. And to accept the peace that comes just from Jesus. That's an amazing gift. And it's not just a gift for us, it's a gift we can give away. That's beautiful. We can have peace with God. This is the third way that peace is talked about in Scripture and how Zechariah is bringing peace out to the forefront here. It's part of how we become Christians, by agreeing to follow the king of peace wherever he leads. And the first place he leads is to repentance and forgiveness. And this is reconciliation with God, which gives us peace with God. As we live in community with one another, as we lean into what God has for us more and more, as we grow in our faith, as we spend time in God's word, as we read the Bible, as we pray, As we grow in our faith, what we discover is the peace that we had at the beginning develops and becomes bigger. And as we learn things that break the peace between us and God over time, God points out to us the things we still need to work on, the things that are still causing us angst. I, um, people think, well, that, you know, like, what kind of things could that be for me? I mean, obviously people have issues like, um, like greed and gossip and those kinds of things. But, but sometimes it's the tiniest thing. It's something that maybe isn't even an, issue for someone else, but it's an issue for you and God. Sometimes it's something as simple as you have been choosing the wrong music to listen to, or you have been choosing not to listen to a direction that God is giving you. For example, maybe You have always been faithful about reading your Bible and doing your devotions first thing in the morning. You get up, you read your Bible, you pray, you spend time with God. You're faithful in that. You're faithful in that for you. But God has been working on you to say, maybe you need to start engaging other people in your house in that. And you're like, well, I mean, okay, God, that's, That's fine, whatever. But it's hard because it's a new discipline and it's a new challenge and it's something that you have to sort of break in. And I'm just using this as an example. Please don't misunderstand me. This isn't something that's a sin in the classical sense of 
violating a known law of God. But what it is, is something that can break the peace between you and God. If God is asking you to do it and you are not doing it, it changes that relationship. Maybe for you it's something as simple as God has been asking you to to give more at church or to do some action or or to do something small, something that doesn't mean anything to anybody else, but it means something in your relationship. I I think about it like this. I've been married for a long time, 30 years. Okay, maybe not such a long time to some of you, but 30 years is a pretty long time for a lot of people. And in the course of that marriage, uh, there have been things that one of us might do that is challenging for the other person. Now, it may not mean anything to anybody else. But in the course of our relationship, it matters. In our case, it has something to do with which way you put the toilet paper on the little hole. <laughs> I'm just going to confess that apparently I do it wrong. It's not a big thing. It's not even something that necessarily matters to anyone else. But I'm going to try and do better. <laughs> Because it keeps peace between the two of us. In the same way, God says to you, probably not anything about toilet paper, but he says to you, here's this little thing, this little thing that you're holding on to, that you won't change, that you haven't changed yet, that you're not surrendering to me. And that is Hurting our peace. Are we still in relationship? Of course. We aren't divorced because I don't put the toilet paper on right. You're not breaking the relationship. But God is saying, hey, let's tweak it a little. Here's something you can do better. Here's something you've missed. And it's because God cares about that relationship. It's because God cares about you that he wants that relationship to develop bigger. So keeping peace with God is big. God says, I have a better way. I have a way that promotes peace. I have a way that gives you peace, makes you have peace with me, and if you are faithful to me, I will be faithful to you and work with you and build a relationship between us to a place where you are at peace with me and with everyone around you and in every circumstance because the other two things about being at peace with people around you and in the circumstances where you find yourself, the more peace you have with God, the easier you find that to be for yourself the more clear it is to you how you do that. I mean, there are days where I find new things that God and I need to work on. Well, mostly I need to work on them. But God points them out to me. And God is ever patient 
and ever kind. And as he reveals the places that I need more God and less Jennifer in, I find that the peace of our relationship grows and builds and strengthens everything else. I'm going to tell you, God wants to do that for you. God wants you to know and live and rest and find God in the places where you wouldn't expect to find God. And as you do that, as you are given greater peace with God, you will yearn more and more for greater peace with God. You will want that more and more in your life. Because you will see how it transforms everything around you. You will also yearn even more for the day when God's peace will overwhelm all that is. And Christ's return will usher in an eternal peace for all the nations. A peace that is not just personal to me and communal to us. But a peace that lasts and overwhelms. Because the king of peace is reigning over us all forever. As we have done every week in this series, I will remind you of what it looks like to say that the love of God is found in every page of scripture. There is a blue sheet on the back table. If you would make sure you have one. Wherever it is bolded on the page, I'm going to ask you to read that to me. What does it mean to say God loves? God loves enough to create us, to form us from the dust. To let us fail, to let us choose our own way over God's, to let us chain ourselves to sin and defeat and heartbreak and sorrow and death. To provide a rescue, a way back (laughs) through wanderers, murderers, adulterers, defaulters, promise breakers, foreigners, strangers, and lovers. To show us mothers, judges, kings, and prophets who loved and spoke for God and kept reminding us of the promise of redemption. To show us how evil and wrong continually mess things up and how obedience to God fosters holiness and bestows blessing. To send us Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, to preach and live peace, grace, hope, joy, and love. To see Jesus rejected, to see him die, to see him buried. To raise Jesus from the dead and send the Holy Spirit to remind us of all we have in him and empower us to live like Jesus. To want us to live like Jesus, an abundant life infused with all the fruit of the Spirit, redeemed, free, loved. To still let us choose our own destiny. To promise the hope of forever, of resurrection from the dead, and final judgment. God loved us enough. God loves us enough. God will always 
love us enough. For God so loved the world. God loves you. God wants you to know it. God wants you to live in it. God wants you to be able to love others because you know you are loved. And God's love is expressed to us every week, most tangibly, as we gather at this table. The son who died and yet lives gave everything so we could know the depth of God's love. So come, drink the wine, eat the bread. No, you are loved. God loves you. Go love the world with him.